Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going to start today. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church. And like Matt said, we are continuing our sermon series called Transformed, right? This, this group of sermons that we've been in now for the last seven weeks. And, we, and we've seen as we've gone through the scriptures, as we've gone through each week, how, how God is longing to transform our character, and how God has the power to even transform our relationships through forgiveness and through reconciliation. And then, you know, last Sunday, Jason uh, began to show us how God can transform our purpose by combating the idols that are in our lives that pull our attention and our focus away from him. And so today we're going to be looking at what the scriptures have to say about our priorities. Because if God is longing to transform our lives, to transform our purpose into one that is more in line with who he is and what he wants for us, what does he want to do with how we prioritize all the different areas of our lives? And the answer to that question is actually woven into God's story throughout Scripture. And so today we're going to be looking at a number of different texts as we see how God answers that question for us, how he illuminates the need for us to think about our priorities in sort of a new and different way. And priorities, you know, they're, they're a funny thing. We don't often think critically about our priorities, but we should. And we should think about our priorities, and we should think rightly about our priorities, because we live them out in every moment of every day. Decisions you make about how to spend your time come from your priorities. Decisions you make about how to spend your money, about where you'll go on vacation, about how many activities you're involved in, how many activities your kids are involved in. All these things come from your priorities. Should I vote? And who should I vote for? Should we downsize or should we get a bigger house? What will I do about a vaccine? What will I do about a vaccine for my kids? What do you want to watch tonight? Where should we go for dinner? From the major life decisions down to the mundane, our priorities are at work in our heart and in our soul and in our minds all the time, whether we realize it or not, whether we care to admit it or not. Let me give you two quick examples. In 2010, there was a fifth grade teacher in Philadelphia, and she got a call in her classroom to let her know that her house was on fire. So she raced home, and finding her house ablaze, she went past the firefighters, past the fire trucks, into the front door of her home. Can you guess what she she grabbed? She grabbed one thing out of her home on that day. She went past the family pictures on the wall. She did not grab any family heirlooms. She actually ran past the file cabinet that held her homeowner's insurance. She grabbed her Philadelphia Phillies baseball season tickets and pulled them out of the fire. Priorities. In 2004... On Easter morning, Easter Sunday, there was a young man named Marcin Muchowski, and he's walking on a bridge in New York City. He's out for a morning walk. And there's another man that comes toward him, and this other man is holding a gun, he's, he, and he uh, engages with Marcin to, uh, to, to mug him. And, he's, and he demands that Marcin hand over his cell phone, where he says, or I will shoot you. And Marcin told a newspaper later that in that moment, he thought about the hassle that it would be to get a new cell phone. A cell phone in that day that would have cost him $75, and so he did not hand over his cell phone, and he got shot in the leg. And as he's laying on the bridge that morning, again, the mugger demands that he hand over his cell phone. And if you are thinking, well, surely at this point, Marcin changed his priorities and handed over the cell phone, you would be incorrect. 
Again, he denied it, but instead, this time, he used the phone to call the police. And the mugger, who was also later arrested, said he was so surprised at how this whole thing turned out, he just ran away. See, Marcina held tightly to his priorities, as misplaced as they may be. Whether we know it or not, whether we care to admit it or not, our priorities are at work in our hearts all the time. And if we're not careful, if we leave our priorities untransformed by a loving God, we're not just at risk of losing a cell phone or baseball tickets. If we leave our priorities untransformed by a loving God, we are liable to miss out on the transformation that he's wanting to do inside each one of us. See, transformation is not a foreign concept to us, because in one sense, we are all looking for transformation all the time. We go to a gym, or we do a personal workout at home to try and transform our bodies and our health. We uh, take on extra hours at work, or we take on a side job to try and transform our uh, financial situation. We paint walls, we lay down new floors, we put together endless boxes of Ikea furniture to try and transform our living spaces. In September alone, in September of this year alone, more than four million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs in order to try and transform their work life and their careers. We are not unfamiliar with transformation. It is woven into the very fabric of what it means to be a human. And all those examples that I just gave, all those examples are common to anyone, whether, whether they follow Jesus or not. Well, what we're talking about today is a very different kind of transformation. See, our world tells us that we can transform our own lives. We can transform ourselves. You are the hero of your own story. The only thing holding you back from the life that you want, from the health and the happiness and, and the life that you want is you, is what our world tells us. I'm sorry to rain on a, on, a, well, on a rainy day, but you are not the hero of your own story. And as soon as we start to believe that lie, that I am good enough, I am wise enough, I am strong enough to transform who I am, we place ourselves in a seat that is reserved from, for God. See, we are changed. We are really changed, like at the core of who we are. Changed from a path that leads to death to a path that leads to life through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a work that is done in us through the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in me, not me, that transforms. I change over time, not by my own power as if I was God, but by my relationship with God. And see, change is inherent in being a Christ follower. God doesn't change. The truth of the Bible doesn't change. The kingdom of God and its power and its relevance and its connection to our day today does not change. No, we change. We change. That is a basic fundamental of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I used to be this. Through the power of Jesus, I am now different. Look around you. There is no follower of Jesus in this room or anywhere in the world who is the same person that they were before they encountered Jesus. And that doesn't mean that change is, isn't hard or painful. It just simply means that we should embrace transformation as a part of a life that is following after Jesus. So the basis for this sermon series is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes that when we begin to look at God and to understand that he wants to have a relationship with us through Jesus, we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. 
That's Paul's line there. We are transformed into the likeness of Christ. Some translations will put that in English as we are transformed into the image of Christ. See, God is constantly growing us. He's constantly redeeming us to be more and more like Jesus, to look and to sound and to act more Jesus-y, if I can make up a word. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good transformation goal, to be more and more like Jesus every day in the way that I speak, in the way that I act, in the way that I treat the world around me. And so if we're being transformed into the image of Christ, we should probably try and understand what his purpose was, what his priorities were, as we understand how he wants to transform our purpose and our priorities. So that's the first point this morning, that a transformed purpose starts with seeing the king's purpose. Transformed purpose starts with seeing the king's purpose. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 4. In this passage of scripture, we pick up the story of Jesus kind of at the beginning where he's just started out his ministry. He's just started to teach and to travel. And he returns uh, to his hometown. Let's read this passage together. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus is reading from the, from the book of Isaiah, from the scroll of Isaiah, and he picks this particular passage on purpose because he wants to very clearly let the people know that he is the very fulfillment of the scripture. He himself is God come down to earth. But he leaves off a line. He doesn't read the full thing. The part of Isaiah that Jesus reads is Isaiah 61. We have it in our Bibles. We have it in our Old Testament. Let's look very quickly at Isaiah 61, because the, where Jesus ends, it actually ends like this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. See, Jesus stops short of saying, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that? It's because that day hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. He's announcing his arrival as God coming down to earth, but he's letting everyone know that there is still a day coming when everything will be put to right. See, the kingdom of God is here. We are living in it. We've been living in it for 2,000 years. But the end of the story has not yet come. We are living in an in-between time, kind of a now and yet not yet time. I heard one uh, teacher, one, one preacher who was teaching on this, uh, liken what Jesus does here to World War II history. If you know your World War II history, you know that D-Day was a day when thousands and thousands of Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy. And at that moment, when those troops successfully overcame the enemy there, it was done. Everyone but the most delusional world leaders at that moment knew that the war was essentially over. And yet the fighting in Europe didn't stop for another year. There were still battles to be won. 
even though the winner was already decided. It's the same thing here. The war is already decided. The victor is already proclaimed. The king is already on the throne. And yet the final celebration day hasn't happened yet. So if, the, if we are heading towards a day that is not yet here, then what's happening now matters. What you do with your life between the day you're born and the day you die matters. Do we have to understand that we are part of a bigger story here? There's a reason that there's a gap between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We are connected to the king. We're connected to each other by the king. And this king, King Jesus, came to bring freedom to a world that was bound up by sin. And so in order to understand that purpose and how we fit into that bigger story, we have to see who he really is. Very quickly, I want to run through what the Bible says about the purpose of Jesus' life. Purpose of Jesus' life. I've picked five. There are plenty more uh, of, these, of these scripture references that very clearly tell us why Jesus came. They're going to be on the screen here. Let me know if you can find a theme. 1 Timothy 1. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. John 12. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Mark 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 2, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Are you picking up on the theme here? Jesus' purpose in coming was to call sinners out of darkness into eternal life. And that great and wonderful king is inviting us to partner with him in pushing back the darkness today, to care about the poor and the blind and the oppressed today. That's where the edge of the kingdom lives, and God is calling us, each one of us, to push that line further and further out. That's our purpose. That's our high calling And that makes any other life calling that we might aspire to seem sort of small and and insignificant by comparison. So the first thing that we have to see is that if our purpose is going to be transformed, we have to understand where our role fits into the greater story of what God is doing. Next week, Dean is going to preach on how we can have a kingdom impact, how we can seek the advancement of the kingdom with our lives. But today we're going to focus in on how our priorities set us up to be able to do that. And so our second point this morning is that a transformed purpose, a transformed purpose comes from flipping competing priorities into graceful opportunities. So let's talk about this idea of priorities. Like I said at the beginning, we don't often think about our priorities, like really sit down with a pen and a paper and number one through ten and say, this is the most important thing in my life, this is number two, this is number three, and so on. And we might do that from time to time, maybe at the beginning of a new year, maybe in a a moment of some deep self-reflection, but it's a pretty rare occurrence. And if thinking to ourselves is a pretty rare occurrence about our priorities, talking about them out loud with other people is definitely a rare occurrence. The only time I can really remember anyone speaking to me about my priorities is when a, a parent or a professor or a coach would very rightly say, Bradley, you need to get your priorities straight. See, we're very good at at kind of recognizing when other people have their priorities out of whack, right? Like my silly examples at the beginning. But we're not real great at proactively understanding our priorities. 
So that's our task today. And this is probably where you would expect the preacher to say, God needs to be number one in your life. Everything else comes after that. Or, or God number one, family number two, and then everything beyond that. But as we look at Scripture, as we look at what God has to say about our priorities, we see that it may not be all that helpful to think in a list format like that. That When we think in a list format about our priorities, it sets up this zero-sum competition. And that's actually not how we were designed to live. It doesn't help us fulfill our purpose as followers of Jesus. And so what I mean by that is this. If you take a common list, if we were going to do a survey of this room or of Johnson County or of America, a common list of priorities would probably be something like this. God number one, family number two, friends number three, work number four, maybe you've flipped those depending on who you are, and the fifth would be something like my neighborhood, my community, the greater good. It sounds fine. It sounds noble. But what it does is it sets up a segmented life where everything has to be in competition with the other. It inherently makes us put one thing against another. Work versus family. God versus work. Play versus rest. Family versus friends. And if you think about it, that does not sound at all like the life that God wants for us. That sounds exhausting. That sounds tiresome. That sounds anxiety-producing. And unfortunately, I think that's where we live, a lot of us. Or at least that's where I live a lot of the time. But see, in God's economy, to view the different areas of our life as in competition with each other, it doesn't make any sense. Because in God's economy, in God's kingdom, our priorities should not and do not compete with each other. Let me show you what the scriptures have to say. If you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, towards the beginning of your Bible, God is giving instructions on how to live to the Israelite people. They've just come out of slavery in Egypt. They're now living in freedom. They've been rescued. They've been liberated by God, and he's leading them on a journey to a land that he's promised them. They're in this in-between time. Does it sound familiar? And God gives these instructions on how to live and to act and to think. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jesus himself, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? There's some religious leaders that are trying to trick him. And they say, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, if this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, the word all is the most important word in this scripture. All. Because we have to understand that God gets it all. He gets all of us. When we believe and we follow after him, 
Our call is to give all of who we are and what we have to him. And so if that's true, and it is, if that's true, then that creates a bit of a problem if we're thinking of our lives and our priorities in a list format. Because if God gets 100%, how do I love my family? If God gets 100%, how do I prioritize my work, my play, my neighborhood? See, maybe instead of a list of segmented priorities, what God wants for us is something much better. Maybe instead of saying this is on top of this and this is more important than this, what God wants for each of us is to carry his love and his presence into everything we do. To let the peace of the gospel influence how we make family decisions. To let the hope of the gospel influence how we act at work. To let the grace of Jesus Christ influence how we interact with our friends and our neighbors and the world around us. The call of Christ is not to make sure that God gets a majority. The call of Christ is not to make sure that God gets 51%. No, no, no. The call of Christ is to bring the light of Christ into everything that you do, into every conversation, into every moment you find yourself in. You have a tense meeting at work. Carry Jesus with you in that moment. Trying to decide if, if you should stay at home or, or, or go back to school or, or, or take a second job carry Jesus with you in that moment. Are you enjoying the good gift of of a good vacation and resting and relaxing? Carry Jesus with you in that moment. Tough neighbor, friend in a tough spot, someone in your small group that needs some loving encouragement, carry Jesus with you in that moment. Awkward moment this week around a table with some turkey and mashed potatoes, Say it with me, carry Jesus with you in that moment. See, it's not about getting your one through 10 priorities right. Release yourself from that pressure. So much of us come in, especially this week, we walk in these doors with a thousand things on our to-do list this week. We've got to make sure we get this right and get this there and get our kids doing this and, and, this, and, and we've got to watch the parade and we've got to get the turkey and, and we miss it. And we have set ourselves up to compete against all these different things that we're doing. You've got all these different things in your life, all these good things you are a part of. Let your identity as a Christ follower be the one constant in all of these areas. Don't segment God out of your work. Don't segment God out of your hobbies and your friendships. Let's look at Psalm 89, uh, what, what Kim read for us earlier, starting in verses 15 and 16. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. They walk in the light of your presence and rejoice in your name all day long. I don't think the writer of this psalm was referring to people who literally sing worship songs from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. No, Psalm 89 reminds us that in all that we do, in every place that we go, every relationship we encounter throughout the day, we have the opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God by how we conduct ourselves in that moment. Because it's not just how you act in church that matters. It's not even the fact that you go to church that matters. See, what God wants for us is not to be at the top of a list of priorities. No, what God wants for us is to submit every part of who we are to him. To place our work under his lordship. God, how can I honor you at work today? 
to place our family under his lordship. God, how can I bring your grace and your peace into this family situation? To place our rests and our play under his lordship. God, how can I honor you in my friendships and my hobbies and in my neighborhood? And those questions are not easily answered, but they are important for us to answer because we can't just give God all of ourselves in theory. This is not an academic exercise. No, this is real life. This is connected to what we actually do. So that brings us to our third point this morning, that transformed priorities make us do something. Transformed priorities should make us do something. Let's look at the scriptures and see what God has to say about the works that we do. Because what we do matters. What we do matters. Our purpose comes not from inside ourselves, but from our creator, from the one true God in heaven. And when we understand that, we can't just agree with our minds and then go back to living however we want. We have to do something with it. Now, let me be very clear. You are not saved by your good works. You are not saved by how good on balance you are at the end of your life. You are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, the grace that takes someone who is undeserving and calls them worthy. You are not saved by works. You are saved so that you can do good works. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He sent the crowds away, and he's teaching just his close followers. And he tells them this story to teach them an important concept. He tells them the story of a wealthy man who's going away on a journey. This wealthy man calls three of his servants to him, and he divides his fortune amongst them. The first two take the money, and they do something with it. They put it to work, and they're able to earn a return on their investment. The third servant, however, the third servant takes the money, and he literally buries it and waits for the master to come back. And Jesus is very clear about the fact that that third servant has missed the purpose of why he gave him the treasure in the first place. We see, we're supposed to do good with the hope and the grace that we've received. Remember, we are in this in-between time where the kingdom of God is here, but it has not yet fully arrived. And so everything that we have is an opportunity that can be leveraged for the sake of the gospel. Everything that we have is an opportunity to be put to the work and the service of the king. But it's on us to trust and to be faithful and to do good with the opportunities that we have. Because see, what God wants for us, what God wants for me, what God wants for you is not to be safe and to conserve and to just hold on to the truth that we know. See, we're given all the opportunities, all the gifting, all the resources that we need to make an impact for this kingdom. But we must feel, like really feel, like really believe at the core of who we are that every part of our life needs Jesus. They all need Jesus. And we've been given this treasure that has the power to transform. It has the power to redeem the world. We're supposed to put that practice, or we're supposed to put that treasure into practice every day. Just knowing and believing and nodding along 
is not what we are here for. So what is your purpose? What is your purpose? It's not to be an accountant or a hairdresser or a stay-at-home parent. It's not to be a student or a teacher or a retiree. Now, those may be things that you are gifted at. Those may be things that you are uh, spending a lot of your time doing. Your purpose is not uh, to make sure you get your list of priorities just right so that you spend the right amount of energy on the right things each time. Your purpose is not even to do a bunch of churchy stuff, to just huddle up with a Bible study and a pen and a journal and wait for Jesus to come back. See, to do that would be to do exactly what that third servant in Jesus' story did. No, we must not miss the fact that opportunities to see and share the hope of Jesus are all around us. In fact, every moment is a God-given opportunity to be about the work of our God. Every situation that we are in, every area of our life has room for God to work. Your purpose, my purpose, as a follower of Jesus, as someone whose life has encountered God and been transformed, our purpose is to carry the light of Jesus Christ into the dark places and then see what God will do with it. That is a purpose that has been transformed. That is a purpose worth betting your life on. As I was thinking about this morning, I was uh, reminded um, that I, I wear this wedding ring on my left hand. And I wear this wedding ring on my left hand all the time to remind me that I am never not married to Kelly. I'm never not married to Kelly. And this wedding ring on my finger is a reminder to me that that fact, that truth, should impact conversations that I have. It should impact where I go and what I focus on. And I don't just leave this at home. I don't have a little spot at the door where when I walk in, I put it on, and when I leave, I take it off. And just like this wedding ring that reminds me that I am never not married to Kelly, we have the spirit of the living God inside of us. And thankfully, we don't need a piece of metal to remind us of who we are in Christ. And there's nowhere that we go, there's no doorway we walk into where we take that off. And this God is worthy of our worship. So this morning, let's stand together and let's worship this living God who loves us.